Welcome to Worth Reading Wednesdays here at the Columbus Lounge Public Library System. This is a podcast hosted by CLPLS librarians about books we're reading and recommending and anything else that has caught our attention. My name is Tori. I'm the Children and Teen Services and Programming Coordinator here at the Columbus Lounge Public Library, and I have with me... This is Nicole, and I'm the Acquisitions and Cataloging Coordinator. Ooh, that sounds swanky. What you do, Nicole? (laughs) Uh, It's just a fancy term of me just being able to look online all day, every day at books, pick some good books that I think our community would enjoy, and just get them into the catalog as quickly as possible and get them out on the shelf so people can enjoy them and read them. Can I be you when I grow up? Yeah, I think you can. I think you already are for the most part because you still look at books. You tell me all the good books that you're finding and reading. Oh, I try, I try, I try. (laughs) All right, so what you're reading? Like, what are you reading right Right now? now? Right now. Actually, right now, I am reading... Let me check my Goodreads so I can make sure I get the name exactly right. So while you're doing that, Goodreads is a great app and website you can use to track what you're reading, to log books to be read, to kind of see what new books are out there. They're actually having their 2020 awards right now, and I went and voted for some of those. Right. I haven't had a chance to vote yet, but I do plan to vote. I just, I usually vote every year. And some of my favorites in the past have actually won awards, so that's pretty cool. I am actually reading The Library of the Unwritten by A.J. Hackwith. Mm-hmm. And lately, well, I wouldn't necessarily say lately, but just even for the years that I've been working here, anytime I happen to see a book that's talking about a library, yeah, that's what I want to be able to get for whatever reason. It's like... It's automatic, like, okay, I work at a library, duh, you know, get a book that actually has library in the title or it's talking about a library. But this one is really cool because of the fact that it is about a library, the library that's in hell. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Are there lots of lines? I feel like hell is like you're in lots of lines to get the book that you want and then you get to the front of the line and it's not there. Is that it? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. No, but that's a good for me for a book okay. for sure. No, it's actually about that the books in hell are books that were unfinished by their authors and the characters in the books will sometimes escape Lord. and travel to the to the world to try to find their author. And I'm not sure yet if they're trying to find their author to kill them or are they trying to find their author in order to be able to get get their story finished. But so far, what I've read is kind of funny because the lady that runs the, the library in hell, she has all kinds of demons and warlocks and all these people who are just chilling in the library reading oh my gosh I love that like that sounds like straight shenanigans (laughs) right and so is she like deadpan like one of those librarians who's like yeah uh uh-huh yeah she is oh my gosh she actually is very just kind of like I mean the book actually starts up with the fact that there's a character that has escaped and she has to 
get it stuffed back inside the book. And she tries to coax the character to get back in on their own. But, of course, they don't want to do that. Yeah. And so I'm not sure if she, she, she did something that made them turn to goo. Oh, wow. That ended up going, sliding back into the book. And her assistant kind of goes, oh, you know, that's, I hate it when you have to do that. You know, you should really try and let them go on their own. And she basically says to her assistant, you have to remember that they are not real. These are characters. And so... They have basic motivations that will always... Right. You know? mm-hmm. That reminds me, have you seen that guy? I think it's a Geico commercial where it's this guy and he's singing Wild Thing and he goes to yeah. the DMV. <laughs> that reminds me of that lady where she's like, I think you owe us $85 Wild <laughs> Thing. Yeah, I love how she says the end of that Wild Thing. Or like the character in Monsters, Inc., the, the Marge lady, or I can't, I think... I don't know if her name was actually Marge, but the old lady who does the paperwork for them mm-hmm. and they're running late to file their paperwork and she slams his fingers. Yeah. <laughs> That's what that reminded me of. Yeah, she she really is. I mean, she I, I believe she has to be hard-nosed because of the fact that the library in hell has these characters who want to try to escape. And because I don't know yet what their intentions are and it's not really clearly made just yet, why they keep wanting to escape... It's kind of like she's got to be the the hard-nosed, no, we have to run this library, you know, the way we're supposed to, you know, do that. And yeah. she's, very, she's well, very on point with how she runs it. I can imagine. Can you imagine how many, like, the, the characters that people come up with, some of them are very dangerous. You know, like, imagine Stephen King not finishing a book and just being like, I'm going to put this aside. Right. And then it gets to her library and she's like, look here, Mrs. Serial Killer. I don't got time for this. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, but it's, it's, it's a good book. The reviews on it uh, actually came out last year. Okay. So it's, it's pretty recent. Well, no, I guess it's not pretty recent because this is 2020 now. So look, anything... 2018 above is pretty recent because 2020 we just talked we're, we're about not even ca- no we're, we're not even counting <laughs> no <it. laughs> this is 2019 part two <laughs> right so it's pretty new and what's the title just, one more time the title is the library of the unwritten okay it's got this cool picture of oh i didn't i'm just now noticing that there's a hand oh, that's outside of a book yeah it looks like torn open yeah it looks like a somebody punched through the page right or something and like this was supposed to be my halloween read now i'm gonna brag on myself right quick i have already surpassed my good reads goal oh look. reading challenge goal. go you proud of you proud of me because when i first started the doing the good reads challenges it was i was really doing good i had like 30 books that i was reading and then the very first year i i, I made my goal i hit my goal literally the next year, I was lost it by one, and I was disappointed, but I was okay with that. <laughs> the next year after that, <laughs> I missed it by, like, 12, and I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm setting my goals too high. So then I was like, okay, I pretty much read about a book a month, so I decided to drop it down to, like, 11 books, mm-hmm. and then I met it. But then, for whatever reason, last year, I got bold. <laughs> I got bold, and I said, I want to read 20 books. And so I've surpassed it. This will be book number 22. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And so for those who don't use Goodreads, you can set yourself a reading challenge. And a lot of people that I talk to personally, they get tripped up by their own goal. And they're like, I don't even like to follow those anymore because I just, 
I always do too much and then I get disappointed in myself and um so it's a it's a tool to track like to give yourself a challenge of how many mm. books to read through a year and it tells you what if you're on track, if you're ahead, or how many books you are behind, so you can fall into that stress trap if you you, you can if you do, and then mm-hmm. see, look, I am so many books behind because I set my goal to a ridiculous. I'm not gonna say it here. I'm not. <laughs> oh, please tell I'm not them. Say it. But I set my goal to be very high, and then quarantine happened, and oh. I was like, this is where I'm gonna read all the books I never read, <laughs> and instead I just edged out. I. I became a potato. Like, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Aliens took over my body. And <laughs> I didn't do anything. And right. so, speaking of supposed to be Halloween reads, I am currently reading The Trial of Lizzie Borden by Kara Robertson. Cool. And, and I uh, watched, I want to say it was a TV show. Maybe it was Fox. Maybe. Where they did a Lizzie Borden TV show. A series for that. But it didn't go to the next one and it was pretty cool to watch how you know they tried they they the way the tv show was set up was that they tried to that she didn't do anything yeah that they were just saying she did but she didn't yeah and i thought it was gonna be see i i love true crime but mm-hmm. i like the i could be misterming this but i like the procedural parts where you're looking through the evidence you're talking about who did what the mm. suspects like i like the brass tacks of true crime of mm-hmm. like here's your list of suspects because I played Clue a lot as a little girl. Yeah. I want to know who was in the conservatory with the candlestick. Right. And so this one, instead of doing that, it goes, like, I should have known. The trial of, it goes through the trial. Oh, and you're okay. actually, Kara Robertson is actually a very, she's a very experienced lawyer. Okay. And so she's going through the trial transcripts and telling you word for word what happens in the trial transcripts, pulling from historical newspapers, the Fall River is the town in which Lizzie Borden lived when this happened. And she's going through the Fall River Historical Society and um, all that kind of stuff. So she is, there's no imagination about it. It's like, mm-hmm. here is what actually happened. Oh, okay. And see, me and my mother, my mother doesn't think she did it. And I can't look, I'm sorry, forgive me powers that be i can't look at an image of lizzie borden and not think she didn't do it because she's 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 spooky yeah she's spooky even the the lady uh i want to say it was the girl christina ricci played her Mm -hmm. in the tv show that uh was doing the lizzie Borden. i'm thinking and yeah i mean who who can think of christina ricci without thinking of the adams family you know right she grew up to be lizzie borden and right (laughs) and the little chant that they I'll have to, like, link it in our show notes, but there's a chant about Lizzie Borden that little kids sing, and it's super creepy. Oh, my gosh. It's something about, like, Lizzie Borden grabbed an axe and gave her father 40 wax or something. Yeah. Uh Uh-uh. No, ma'am. No, (laughs) ma'am. But I did think it's interesting. It did kind of open my purview into, like, there are a lot of underlying class issues Mm. that led to this. Well, I wouldn't say necessarily led to it, but... It gives you context for mm. her family and how she was brought up because you always hear about, well, it's in Victorian society, these women were eligible to be married but never got married. So they're essentially just like useless to society. They couldn't, you can't work. Right. And so she's kind of in that awkward limbo where she's essentially considered a spinster in her community at the time. And the Bordens actually 
her family, her extended family had a, they were very well to do, but she was kind of on the side of the family where things had Mm -hmm. gone wrong for them. Black sheep. Yeah. And so, and it also talks about the kinds of discrimination that were happening at that time that Mm -hmm. we don't necessarily, or I don't necessarily think about anymore of like, oh, you're from Ireland. Mm. that Irish girl is, you know, they right. look down upon Irish descendants and those who came from Ireland at this mm. time. And I just think, huh, you know, like mm. if I met somebody from Ireland today, I'd be like, tell me everything. Right. I want to know your culture. But like their maid was an Irish woman who mm. got a lot of scrutiny just because of where she was from. And mm. I just think that's so fascinating because it's like, it just shows you how far we've come, but also how far we haven't come as a society. Right. So. Well, it sounds interesting. I remember when I purchased that for the library. I mean, it very well could have been during the time that I was watching the TV show and happened to have seen, mm-hmm. you know, a book about it that I was like, you know, let me let me grab this. I think somebody would be interested in that. Not to mention, too, our circulation coordinator, Willaney, loves true crimes as well. So mm-hmm. I, I take a lot of you all's thoughts and, and ideas <laughs> and, and your personalities into consideration as I look for books. I mean, not just the community of Columbus and Lowndes Mm -hmm. County, but also within these walls when you all, just when you all are talking to each other Mm -hmm. and I hear something that you all say that you may want to read or would be an interesting topic to read. That's kind of what fuels me to sit and stare at my computer so long for you guys. Oh, well, we greatly appreciate it (laughs) because I'm over here texting my mama being like, mom, they found a hatchet and it had... (laughs) soot on it like she was trying to clean up the blood and the handle was broken and she was seen burning a dress and she was alone in the mama she did it and my mom (laughs) refuses to admit she did it she's like oh that poor girl was framed and i'm like mother nobody is as innocent as you think oh wow but maybe lizzie borden could very well be innocent i'm kind of with your mom on this she did it she did it nicole (laughs) she did it (laughs) No, she's probably like, wherever she is, she's probably looking at me like, you don't even know. Right. You don't know the half of it. (laughs) All right. So we're going to dive into our next segment. We're going to talk about some of the new materials that we've come across that really piqued our interest or, um, you know, I don't know, that made you look twice at it. Made you say, what's this about? You know? What you got? So we just got in a large number of new books in this past week. Thank the fact that we've gotten our budget in. You know, that's one thing I would love to be able to explain in this podcast is that we just don't have a wealth of money that just sits around and lets us buy all the books. Yeah, that um, public funding. Yeah, public funding is so important. Public advocacy for libraries is so important. You know, we do still have the hardcore readers who love a book in their hands. Mm-hmm. And and so in order to be able to provide that, we need to be able to have the money to be able to purchase that. Now, When I first got into this position, I will say that my whole thought process was like, let's buy all the books. (laughs) That's (laughs) how I still come to you. I'm like, Nicole, buy all these. (laughs) Right, buy all the books. And believe me, I wish that I had an unlimited budget to really purchase all the books that I really would think that our community would just love to be able Mm -hmm. to read. But I cannot. I have to sit there and sift through. And so I don't take that part of my job lightly at all. Mm -hmm. I take into consideration what I see being checked out, what I see being returned, what I hear people talking about. Believe it or not, I actually go into Walmart 
every now and again and just browse the, okay. their bookshelves just to see what they've got out mm -hmm. because they have to be selective as well. They can't put everything out that even we have in our collection. So I'll go every now and again and just, you know, browse and see what they've got. I'll look on, if I happen to be in another store somewhere and see that they've got books, I'll just go browse just to see what they feel like is being, you know, picked up and bought. So having said all of that, with us having gotten our new budget, it made my job a little bit harder, but our community loves their mysteries and suspense and their romance titles, and it would be remiss of me not to yes. have purchased. How dare you? Right, not. exactly. <laughs> when I say our community loves mysteries and suspense, yeah. it's the largest section downstairs in the library that wraps around one, two, three, like three full length shows yeah so for those who have never visited our actual branch downtown here in columbus mississippi our downstairs section is all of our adult fiction and we have it kind of genreified, meaning that we have some genres split up from general fiction and our largest section like nicole is saying is the mystery and thriller section we also have a christian section a fantasy and sci-fi section large print Am I missing anything? Yep. Christian, romance. Romance, romance, romance. You said Western, I think. No, I didn't. Um, I said oh, Christian. Okay. I missed romance and Western. Okay. Yeah. And the the mystery suspense is, is pretty long. I remember one of the things that I was told when I got here was that, you know, we really could not get rid of some of the popular authors that the community likes because they love going back and rereading. And then, too, a lot of these authors are continuing a storyline mm -hmm. that again we would not be making a wise choice to get rid of one of the books just because it's worn out I mean actually I would have to you know buy a replacement copy or if we've got some great people out there who donate books to us and I'm able to grab it and keep it as a replacement in case it's lost or in case it gets damaged you know that that really helps out so notable mentions for mystery and suspense that we just got in is James Patterson, who y'all adore. Oh my <laughs> gosh. And when I say he throws out a book every it gets, day. Yeah. He's he's very prolific. And he, he is. I I mean, and I, I will every now and again joke and say, James Patterson, I can't stand you. Really? Another book? We got another one coming out? <laughs> But didn't we just have one come out yesterday? <laughs> I feel like every librarian feels that a little bit of that way about James Patterson. I saw definitely saw some quarantine posts of James Patterson collections put between two librarians and say and the librarians would say, Stay thirty six James Patterson books apart. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you know, he's walk into any public library and James Patterson is gonna practically have a shelf or two or Three. Two and a half or three. Like, he's got so much out right. there. But what is this title? This title is The Coast to Coast Murders. And I think this is a newer, like, storyline that he may be venturing towards. Mm -hmm. Let me check and make sure if he actually has a co-author. Now, you know, that's what he's into as well, is co-authoring with, with authors. So that they can get their name out there. Exactly. And you know, I can't fault him on that. I mean, that's, that's nice and generous mm -hmm. of him to think of, you know, another author and give them a chance to be able to start their own, you know, like kind of movement into the world. And as I look at this, yes, he did partner with J.D. Barker. Now, I've not seen J.D. Barker's name before in any other kind of works, so he may be one of his newer guys or authors that he's kind of 
bringing under his wing. And I, I think that's cool. But James Patterson put that out. And I know our, I haven't cataloged it yet, but by the time this podcast is listened to, he will have been cataloged and he'll probably be on our seven day list. I actually have to do that. Mm. And I'll talk about that seven day list in just a minute. We've got Janet Ivanovich, which is another popular, popular. I love Janet Ivanovich. Do you? Nicole, I am a quiet Janet Ivanovich fangirl. I've met her. Wow. She's signed my book. (gasps) She's tweeted at me. Cool. Which none of this is like, yay, because (laughs) she's she's very approachable to her fans. But I feel (laughs) special. I love her to death. Oh, my gosh. Because the way she makes a character... You know, the Stephanie Plum series. I'm sure mm-hmm. that's the next installment in it. Uh, yeah, I'm assuming. Uh, Fortune and Glory, this is part of the... This is the tantalizing 27. Yeah, so I haven't been keeping up lately because I'm waiting for the whole series to just be over. Mm. So I, I can grieve in peace because <laughs> it's been happening for so long that, like, what am I going to do when that finishes? Mm-hmm. Like, it's going to be comforting because I will have all of them and I can, like, <laughs> go through my babies. Yeah. But at the same time, knowing that there's not going to be another one is, like, sad. But, anyways, Stephanie Plum is the most likable protagonist I've ever read because she mm. has, like, her life is such in shambles all the time. <laughs> Nicole, I'm talking she's a 30-year-old with a pickle jar in her fridge, a block of cheese, and she lives alone with her hamster. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And it's so great because you're like, no matter what I'm doing, I can read a Stephanie Plum novel, and she is going to have two things in her fridge. Mm. She's going to be blowing up a car that she just got that week, <laughs> and she's going to be running around with her. She has a really good sidekick named Lulu. Mm-hmm. She She's a larger African-American woman Mm -hmm. who used to work as a prostitute, but now helps her with her bail bond agency and sits on people. And it's the best. (laughs) It's the best series you'll ever read in your life. I cannot highly recommend it enough. It's, I mean, it is violent. Mm -hmm. You you do get people who try to kill her, but. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's like when I read that series, I finally understood why men love action series so much. Oh, okay. It's like the best action version of a woman because you've got like all these things are blowing up and people are getting kidnapped. And then you've got off to the side, they all live in um, New Jersey. And she's always talking about how New Jersey smells like trash all the time. And (laughs) she's talking about her traditional Hungarian Italian parents who expect her to be at home with 2.5 children by now. And they're very disappointed. And her grandmother, Nicole, her grandmother shot the turkey at Thanksgiving (laughs) in one of the books. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Oh, it's, I'm sorry. Continue. That's okay. That's okay. It's so um, good. But I will note, one of the very, very first things I said when I picked up Janet Ivanovich's book uh, was that it was smaller than she normally writes. So I was concerned. I mean, literally, I was like, what, I think- is, what is this? I turned the book around and flipped it upside down. I was like, wait a minute. And I went and looked at a, 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 the previous one, and it's thick, and this one's kind of there have been rumblings in the fandom that it... I haven't seen anything where she specifically come out and said, this is when it's ending. Okay. But I also haven't been following it closely. Mm-hmm. I just know when I did go check on it, because I saw that she didn't... This is like a, a subtitle. Um, what was the title one more time? Uh, Fortune and Glory. And then it had underneath Tantalizing 27. Yeah. So normally she names them just the number. Right. Actually. But she put the sub... Or the the subtitle mm-hmm. is the number now. Fortune and Glory is 
the main title. Mm-hmm. And so that had a lot of people freaking out because oh. they were like, what's happening? We've gone 26 books. Right, and exactly. a lot of the n- names are crowdsourced. She asks her fans what kind of names do you think would be good for 26, 25. But, mm-hmm. like, Stephanie Plum, she's a messy girl, and I love mm-hmm. it. She's a hot mess, and I'm here for it. Because I need to look at a hot mess when I feel like a hot mess. Exactly. I, I feel you on that one. Next in line is Lee Childs, the Sentinel. Our community loves Lee Childs' book. So every time he puts out one, I'm definitely going to pick it up. And their other big, big favorite is Stuart Woods, and he just put out uh, Shake Up. Okay. So those will be out on the shelves. I'm going to get to cataloging on those. I, t- I tend to kind of speed catalog every now and again. I shut the world out or shut the library noise out, go in my office and put music on. And then I just really kind of sort through because I really, when, when I get new books in, it is in my first mind to get them out to yeah. our public, like immediately. Like I want them out there fast because it's like, you know, they well, not just that. They want to, you know, they come in asking for yes, them. Yes, they do. <laughs> and they have no shame in wanting to be the first one to get oh, yeah. the first copy. So, but with that, I said I was going to mention about the seven day list. We have to do that. for. It gets put on the seven day list and it is on that list for 30 days. After the 30 days, I go and check and see how many holds are still on that copy of, of books. If there are two or more holds on there, it gets another two weeks okay. on the seven-day list. Mm-hmm. If it's one book, one left, then I'll switch it on over to the regular checkout time, which for us is 28 days. Mm-hmm. But it does not come off that list if there are two people still on hold for it because at least one more person still needs to be able to have a chance to yeah. read that book because they've been waiting mm-hmm. for it. So I have reminders that set off on my phone. I write them on my calendar to say, okay, you need to go and check the seven-day list and you know see what's going on. And, and for the most part, those authors that I just mentioned stay on their long times. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh gosh, there was... Well, John Grisham, I didn't put him on here because... He wasn't the book that I just purchased in the last week. But even John Grisham's new book, A Time for Mercy, will be on the seven-day list for a minute because... Yeah, we've already passed Camino Wins and we're on to another one. Exactly. (laughs) He's just as prolific as Patterson. Exactly. And then, too, we love him because he's a Mississippi author. So, you know, we've got to make sure we get a copy for him. So that was Mystery and Suspense. And for romance, we've got Christine Fian's Dark Song. Our community loves a little bit of Christine Fian. She's got a little fantasy with her romance, Mm -hmm. but we put her mostly in romance. We got Nicholas Sparks, The Return. I mean, who doesn't like a Nicholas Sparks book? I mean, I'm still stuck on The Notebook, both the book and the movie. So, I mean... You know, we they they love. Uh, he hurt my feelings with at first sight. I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> he hurt me. We need to talk, Nicholas. Call me, cause what in the world did you? It, it's this at first sight. It's a it's an older one, mm-hmm. and she's a librarian working in a small town. And then he starts killing off the darlings, and that's all I'm gonna say. Oh gosh, and, oh, he gosh. hurt my feelings. I, you know, and I and I think I love authors that. That do that to us, that just completely, uh, and that's a whole nother podcast that we definitely would have to do just on its own. But um, moving on with the romance, we've got Rochelle Ellers, The Bridal Suite. 
Um, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly, so forgive me, Rochelle. That's our, an African-American author who writes some really good, just enjoyable romance. Mm -hmm. Kind of like, I kind of liken her to Danielle Steele or actually one of my favorite authors is Brenda Jackson. Shout out, Brenda Jackson, because I follow you on Instagram and <laughs> I've been following you since the Westmoreland series. Those men are, ooh, the, mm. Something to write home about. Huh? It really is. Um, <laughs> probably why I married my chocolate husband. Oh. Okay. But uh, so she, you know, she's one of the popular ones in our African American community. So I made sure and grabbed her up. Okay. And then of course we got Karen Kingsbury. We love her. She's a very nice lady. Really? You I'm, just met everybody. Where look, you been? I drove. I live. My hometown is outside of Nashville, and she was having a signing in Nashville at the Barnes and Noble. And my happy little butt got in my car, <laughs> drove down there to get a book signed for my nana because my nana, she reads so much so fast and she consumes boatloads of kingsbury sparks like wow all of them she gets them and matter of fact with the i think it was the love story in the baxter family series mm -hmm. that i was getting signed at the time she had already purchased the book and so i got her a duplicate just so i could get it signed because she's so quick wow she gets it on her shelf at home the day it comes out she is like that crazy wow. and i'm like nana like i mean mad <laughs> respect but let a girl buy you something <laughs> right right <laughs> well i'm hoping our community is going to enjoy this one this one's called truly madly deeply mm -hmm. i love the title i don't know why i love the way that that's written just truly madly deeply i just feel like somebody is sitting sitting down on the couch and he's trying to explain to her i love you truly madly deeply <laughs> and then she swoons you know what i'm saying <laughs> So that's what we've got, oh. definitely, that's that's going to be out on the shelves. I'm not going to say when because I hate to try to put that kind of pressure on myself. But Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, but for sure, it's going to be on those shelves really, really quick, so look out for it. Okay. And then last but not least, I had to mention this one. Again, along the lines of I've been on this kick of buying books that actually have the word library in their titles, and it's talking about a library. And so a book that's kind of new to me, one that I haven't read by Matt Haig, I think, H-A-I-G, mm -hmm. forgive me if I'm mispronouncing that, The Midnight Library. So it's got mm -hmm. the same kind of darkness as the, as the book okay. that I'm reading. And the main character finds herself in this library where the books in it allow her to, and I quote, live as if she has done things differently, end quote. And I think that this book's premise is along the lines of choose your own ending books like we enjoyed as a kid. Okay. Because I think it's going to relate to her being able to change her life and the direction of her life or maybe even the lives of others simply by That's being in really this library. Cool. So I'm excited to see that. Plus the cover art is just gorgeous. And shout out to all the publishers. Your cover art game has really gone up in the years sense and i just love it i love how they are giving artists a chance to be able to be featured on front of book covers and really just are making beautiful beautiful book covers that i know we say all the time in library world don't judge a book by its cover but believe it or not we tend to t pick well, yeah. up books i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily <laughs> say that because our society today is so visual we're right. looking at our phones. We're online all the time, consuming all these images. Mm -hmm. So I think it's natural that people do that. I do think the sentiment behind "Don't judge a book by another co by its cover" is very true. But mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day, the cover 
if anything, if nothing else draws you in about mm. that book, the cover may do something for you that the title didn't. Right. I've and, been pleasantly surprised by books that I simply bought on a whim. One of them, and I won't get deep into it, but one of them was Marissa Meyer's The Lunar Chronicle series. I kept walking by the Cinder book. Yeah. And I kept looking at that it and heel. I was like, this looks so much like sci-fi and I don't like sci-fi, but I kept walking past it in our books, uh, books a million. And I just kept walking past it and seeing it. R.I.P. Everywhere. Books a million here. I know. <laughs> R.I.P. for real. We're the um, only game in town, guys. Exactly, <laughs> I was just kidding. Exactly. Friendly City Books will be opening pretty soon. Yeah, I'm excited about yeah. that. Super excited about that. But that Luna Chronicle series, uh, it, that's what pulled me in was that very first book and the cover art. And I saw a post recently that said probably one of the worst things that happened in the publishing industry to this person was they got rid of the Harlequin romance painters. Like, you know, the <laughs> yes. the very intense paintings of the man grasping the woman right. on the book. Now they just take photos of models. Right. And they're like, no, I want to see the painters back. Give those painters their jobs back. Exactly. I mean, we want Fabio. Yes. <laughs> For sure. Speaking of good cover art, I'm okay. going to mention mine. So okay. this is a new to... Since I don't have the privilege of telling all of my patrons what we have coming up, mm-hmm. I'm telling what's on my shelf, you know, because okay. I'm Miss Gatekeeper over there. <laughs> but this is new to my collection and the children's section here at the library, and it is called Her Right Foot by Dave Eggers and um, art by Sean Harris. And it actually talks about something I didn't know about. I sat down and read this book because I was like, what is this talking about? It is actually talking about how the Statue of Liberty, she is in motion. Like, as a statue, she's actually walking. Oh, dang. And we see all these memorabilia of the Statue of Liberty, and she's just planted there, right? Mm -hmm. She's holding her torch. She's holding her um, plaque here. Right. But my impression was always that she's just standing there. Mm -hmm. Her right foot talks about how the Statue of Liberty's right foot is in motion. As a nation, we're always moving, trying to move forward. Oh, wow. It's a very profound message. Yes. And um, it talks a lot. Like, the images, the um, illustrations are very colorful. Mm-hmm. And it never gets too mundane because you are talking about one thing. And this, this mm-hmm. is a children's nonfiction book. Um, it is in our 900 section per Dewey Decimal System. Um, and you're always seeing the different colors, and you're talking about the one item of, or excuse me, the one statue of the Statue of Liberty, but it never gets boring. And I think that's very important when you're working with a juvenile audience. Mm. And it's done by construction paper and India ink. Those are the materials used. Mm -hmm. It talks about the history and how France um, gifted us the statue. Mm -hmm. And like, oh, the parts were assembled that, you know, um, we're looking at a, an illustration of some yellow squares and construction paper to denote the parts that were assembled in New York City. Wow. And I love the approach it takes because I just, I think it was very insightful. The author approaches everything like, oh, I know you know this. Mm-hmm. So you know how the, everything came from Paris, right? right? And then, and did you know that this happened and oh you know this too right and he it's just the way he's talking about it is like we're having a conversation and we're in a coffee shop and I'm just regurgitating everything back to you that you already know right because you're well versed and I love the way that it just talks to like if you're a child reading this like you're already in on the secret right yeah 
Um, and that's definitely going to appeal to them because, especially for nonfiction, you know, it's always hard for our kids to really get into nonfiction. But when you present it in a way that, like you said, kind of lets them in on that secret, it, you know, propels them to want to read further. Shout out to teachers. I was a former teacher, so yeah. I get it. Um, I wanted to read a couple of things. It says, this is towards the end of the book, but it says, if the Statue of Liberty is a symbol of freedom, if the Statue of Liberty has welcomed millions of immigrants to the United States, then how can she stand still? Mm. And then the next page says, liberty and freedom from oppression are not things you get or grant by standing around like some kind of statue. No, these are things that require action, courage and unwillingness to rest wow it's so profound oh man and i just, love that it's so good i love that she is not content to wait mm. and it's just using the statue of liberty as you know an icon for our country right which she exactly. is she is she definitely um, is so that one is actually a 2017 publication it is a little older but I think it deserves a lot more spotlighting. So yes. I figured I'd bring it in and talk about it. it of is, course. The call number is J973EGG2017 for those library buffs who are looking for that. <laughs> um, my second new book is a 2020 publication, and it is one of my favorite books. <laughs> I cried when I read this book. Um, I read it over quarantine. I read this copy, and then I immediately went to Amazon and purchased my own. Oh, okay. So, it is called Clean Getaway by Nick Stone, and it follows Scoob Lamar mm -hmm. and his grandmother. And Scoob is an African-American, or no, I think he's half black, half white. His grandmother is white. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong. He may be African-American. I just know that his grandmother's white. He's mm -hmm. African, of African-American descent, mm -hmm. and he's going to go, he ends up going on a a road trip with his grandmother and you mm -hmm. see on the front it's him and he's got his notebook in his arms and then at the very bottom it's his grandmother and like a Winnebago riding <laughs> off and it's oh my gosh the illustrations they go through states Mississippi is one of them cool. and they talk about you know what each state has like the state bird the state flower because what's actually happening through this book is his grandmother is taking him through the stops that they went she went through with his grandfather on their last road trip together oh. and she actually has his green book with her right so okay. from my understanding the green book is essentially an african-american's guide to safe travels during mm -hmm. the civil rights era that's correct um and it talks about what places were safe to stop to use the restroom what places you could go get food and not be harassed have your life threatened yeah. that kind of thing because his grandfather was black and his grandmother was white oh, during see. the civil rights era mm -hmm. and it was very contentious and throughout this road trip she is revealing little by little more about their relationship to him and mm. you know he's younger he doesn't fully understand everything that's happening but through right. this trip they go by Megar Evers home she talks yeah. about what happened there so it's a it's a very good civil rights lesson for a 12 year old who yeah. and it's through a, his eyes so mm. you're getting that history without you know for parents who may be hesitant about talking mm. about the violence about it you're getting it through a safe lens that yeah. doesn't shy away from the seriousness of it. Mm -hmm. But it definitely talks about it in a way that's a little bit more approachable. Yeah. And she 
come to find out his grandmother is having some issues and he doesn't realize it till further on into the nor- the story mm-hmm. and he has a a strained relationship with his father because his father has a lot of anger towards his grandmother for just you know the way they grew up mm-hmm. there's just a lot of tension there and he's okay feeling some of it so it's so many layers of stuff in this book and I just oh the end I cried I sobbed like a baby it was so good (laughs) I definitely have it on my to be read list and I've read some of Nick Stone's work beforehand plus I've already I met her at (gasps) Mississippi Mississippi's uh, Literary Lawn Party I'm so jelly books festival green Um, jello I met her along with Angela Thomas Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh, and Nick Stone is so so cool. I bet her image looks her author image in the back of the book. She always has cool lipstick and cool colors in her hair and cool clothes. I mean, she's really truly a hipster, and I just I just love just anything that she writes. I mean, it's it's been you know just powerful. So I expected absolutely nothing less when I purchased this for the library. Well, I am gonna say a spoiler. So if you do not want to hear the rest of this book, please skip ahead it is a reveal at the end that had to do with why i cried so just skip ahead real quick okay so his grandmother does end up passing away mm-hmm. but i just think it's the sweetest thing and it's it approaches death in a way that's very like it's okay that it happened yeah so not only do you get bereavement grief at in a child's lens you get the civil rights movement history you get i mean i don't know i'm not I can't read every single book in the children's section, but mm-hmm. I don't I don't see a lot of very relatable or the relationship between grandparents and grandchildren. Right. I don't see that depicted in a realistic way that happens today. Yeah. Because, you know, I feel like a lot of it's like, oh, this this person who's out of touch technologically and here's a child who isn't right. and they have this disconnect. There is some of that here, but it's in a it's in a modern light to me. Yeah. And I just, come on, these illustrations. She looked like she having so much fun. Uh, they, they go to a uh, roller, or they go to a theme park, and he takes her on a roller coaster, and it's this image of them on their roller coaster, and his grandmother's hair is flying up, and he looks so happy. And she does, too. Oh, gosh, and her little snaggle tooth is showing right there. I can't get past it. Oh. I immediately was like, I've got to purchase this because I'm going to, if I ever have kids one day. This is required reading. I hear you. Um, I so hear you. Those are my new books. Now we're going to go into our read and recommended books. These are books that we have, again, been like, hey, what's this about? And mm-hmm. either somebody's recommended it to us, we have personally read it, or something like that. But let me just go back over the books that we've already mentioned. Nicole, do you want to list yours really quickly? So we've got uh, James Patterson's The Coast to Coast Murders. Janet Ivanovich's Fortune and Glory, Tantalizing 27, Lee Child's The Sentinel, and Stuart Wood's The Shake-Up. Those are our mysteries and suspense new, uh, new ones that we've gotten. In romance, our, we have got Christine Fian's Dark Song, Nicholas Sparks' The Return, Rosha Aller's The Bridal Suite, and Karen Kingsbury's Truly Madly Deeply. Ooh, and then for me, I have Her Right Foot by Dave Eggers, art by Sean Harris, And then I had Clean Getaway by Nick Stone. Jacket and interior illustrations by Dawood Enyabwile. I apologize if that's not the correct pronunciation. 
but the illustrations are fantastic. So those are all of the books that we've talked about so far. We're gonna speed through our read and recommended books just to speed things up here, and then we will be done with our very first podcast episode of Worth Reading Wednesdays. I know, and that was a mouthful, and you handled it <laughs> amazingly. Well, thank you. Kudos to you. Thank you. All right, what are your read or recommended books what you got well I've only got one that I just definitely really wanted to put out there it's a nonfiction title about teenage girls and I read this this year for a part of my Goodreads challenge and the title is called Untangled Guiding Teenage Girls Through Seven Transitions into Adulthood and at the time that I started reading this, my daughter was 12, but now she's 13. And I just really wanted to have a better connection with her mm -hmm. as she's starting to go into uh, womanhood. And so here are my three takeaways. One, I learned how to coexist with her. Ooh, that's <laughs> always important. Got to coexist with her and her hormones. Right. Two different things. <laughs> and I'm able to talk with her much, much better than I ever did with my mom. So... It gives you just really seven easy to understand strands that can really build your confidence in raising a teenage daughter. The second takeaway is I appreciated the real life, this is how you might say this to your daughter moments. They were sprinkled in carefully, mm -hmm. logically, and I even used them immediately in situations that we were I was having with her. Um, and it just was... It just, the third takeaway is it just felt good to know that I wasn't alone to cut myself some slack about whether I, whether or not I was raising her right or even preparing her properly for adulthood. And it was just a really good book. It is in our Family Place library section and it is there now. I did not write down our call number, but... That's all right. You could definitely ask for it's got that uh, little baby sticker on it that says parenting. <laughs> so what was that title and the author one more time? That the title is Untangled, Guiding Teenage Girls Through the Seven Transitions into Adulthood. And the author is Lisa Damore. That's D-A-M-O-U-R. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I commend you. I appreciate hearing about a parent who's willing to like admit that they need help too. I think so many times, in my experience as a children's librarian, parents are very, like, timid. Yes. They don't want to admit, not out of a place of pride, I think, but they just don't want to be seen as somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, which, I mean, last I checked, infants didn't come with how-to manuals. So yes. there ain't no shame in the game. There really isn't. There really seeking isn't. out some help. And you're mm -hmm. only going to be benefiting you and your child. Yes, so. definitely. Mad props. So that's my recommend. Speaking of teens. Uh-oh. Um, this is kind of teens in my head. It's not necessarily, but I feel like it's who this, my favorite book targets. This is Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. And I say it targets because it's manga classics. And Ooh. for those who don't know what manga is, it's a traditional Japanese way of reading comics where you're reading right to left instead of left to right. So mm -hmm. it is a little bit disorienting, but what I really appreciate about these manga classics, this is my own personal copy that I have in my hands because I I found these at the American Library Association conference oh, cool. and I snapped up like four of them. <laughs> so I was like, what? And I think this is so approachable for teens who mm -hmm. are assigned these books in high school. Mm -hmm, for sure. And don't want to read them. Right. Um, manga classics takes the novel and puts it word for word 
in a manga series where you have illustrations, you have panels, you have a visual way of grasping what is being said, the dialogue. And at the very front of every manga classics, you have a how to read manga illustration yes. that tells you if you're unfamiliar with how to read it, how to start looking at each panel and how to go from there. And like I said, it opens the exact same way it does in the actual Pride and Prejudice. Nothing mm. is removed. And so, you know, in the very first line, it is the truth universally acknowledged that a single man with a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Mm -hmm. That very well-known first line that we all have probably heard exactly. somewhere, somehow. I really could have used that as a teacher. I taught high school English for over 12 years, uh, ninth grade all the way th to through 12th grade at some point. Right. And, you know, getting them to read the classics is harder to do when it's just, you know, the book itself. When you can introduce graphic novels into your curriculum for anything, no matter what it is, I think it just gives an added boost for kids to be able to learn in a different way, to Absolutely. become uh, immersed and appreciative of things that, you know, that they may tend to take for granted, like reading the classics. And know? I am going to throw my weight behind that. I wholeheartedly support graphic novel discovery. Those who may feel like graphic novels are not as equal to literature, I wholeheartedly and respectfully disagree with you. But I'm just trying to say that there are multiple studies out there that have been conducted that show that graphic novels mm -hmm. help with reading comprehension. They help with understanding dialogue. You may, not everybody can read and understand things right off the bat. You exactly. have more visual readers who need a little extra oomph. And right. I appreciate that. Like my brain, some people's brains can't just be captivated by the written word mm -hmm. like others. And that right. there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But something I really love, just flipping through this, and this is, I haven't, read this manga classic specifically I, mm -hmm. I do want to note that while you're looking for that let me just put in my little pat on the back as well I do have a master's degree in library science and I actually did my master's project on graphic novel <gasps> usage oh you did I did what'd you I find did. out girl tell me I find out that a lot of teachers just didn't want to really put forth the effort to try to find those kinds of materials. The second thing was not knowing where to look mm -hmm. for graphic novel materials to add to their classroom. And then the third one was graphic novels are not literature. Oh, yes, they are. <laughs> yes, they are. And I can understand that, though. I've never been a teacher, but the burnout can be real, especially oh, yeah. in 2020 with Ooh. this virtual mess. Gosh. So I Solidarity to all of our instructors and teachers. Yes. We appreciate you. Mm -hmm. What you're doing is so valuable, and you're not getting paid enough for it. Exactly. <laughs> but anyways, this illustration, it's on one of the first three pages, and I think it's such a great way. We all know, those of us who are into classic literature who've read anything by Jane Austen, she got a whole cast of characters. Mm. And you got to practically write down a list to keep track. And look at the way this manga <gasps> classic. Oh, gosh. It is has all of the characters on a double-page spread. And above each of their heads, it gives you their name. And it kind of gives you an illustration of what you're going to be experiencing they all have different facial expressions so it kind of gives you a hint to who they're going to be in the story so detailed oh it's so gorgeous and it is black and white but it still does not lack anything for 
just masterful illustrations. And, you know, even Mary over here on the right. end <laughs> looking like a little Mary in Pride and Prejudice is the academic daughter, I would say. <laughs> there are five daughters in Pride and Prejudice. I'm not going to go over the plot because I feel like I'd just be beating a dead horse there. <laughs> but Mary is the more academic. She's the more mm. reserved. And she's right. all the way on the end of this whole group of <laughs> cast of characters huddling with her glasses perched on her nose. And she's got books in her, in her hands and her bonnet's on. And then, you know, Lydia's the scandalous daughter who's obsessed with the boys. And she's right. got some little... So in manga, some graphic novels, the sweat marks denote is excitement or embarrassment or something like that. She's got her sweat marks happening because she's finding out the Netherfield Park is let it last. <laughs> Which means boys. Oh <laughs> so and then, you know, we have Mr. Bennett who's very disinterested. Yes. As usual. He's mm. one of my low key faves of this whole story. <laughs> and, you know, and then you have your protagonist, Elizabeth, looking aloof. Like, she doesn't care, which she tries very hard to pretend to be the whole time. And I just think it's such a great way to be like, right. you can postmark this page and come back to it and be like, who is this again? Right, exactly. And I just think this is such a great way to introduce people to classic literature. exactly, Especially for your reluctant readers. So yes. that is, we actually have this copy in our graphic mm -hmm. novel section. It is around the corner from our young adult section. Again, it's Manga Classics, Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. The art is by Poe Say, and then the story to adaptation was by Stacey King for that one. Okay. Now, this is something I read over the quarantine as well. Okay. Let me tell you what. Oh my gosh. This is an older book. I think it was, I can remember exactly where I purchased this. I was in North Carolina. Mm. It was a used bookstore. I saw it, and I was like, I've heard really good things about this book. Let me see if I can buy it. And it was like a dollar. Because I was in grad school and broke. So, <laughs> not that I don't support the author. So, this is The Mothers by Britt Bennett. And I've heard so many reviews of this book. And I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. It's a great book. Cool, mm -hmm. cool, cool. And this book has been sitting in my apartment for like two years. Never touched it. And I touched it finally. And let me tell you what. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, goodness. Nicole, this book. Mm. It's got the juiciest, like, this book, this is high praise. Let me tell this is like the Beyonce of books to me. Okay. Really? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Some of the, I underline stuff in here. That's oh, wow. How, that's how much. You know it's serious when you underline. So, I just want to read a passage of what I underlined from this book because before I read, I do want to say that there is a trigger warning in here for abortion and other adult themes. So, if you're not interested in listening to a discussion about that, Please skip ahead. But, Nicole, when I tell you <laughs> that this book came out the gate swinging and what? didn't quit. Um, Especially if you are underlining. Yeah, right? On page two. On page two. I oh, said, gosh. hold up now. That was one of the books where you're like, no, I got to put you down. So when I have my full undivided attention on you, we can get to talking. Right. And I've so, done that before. Literally underlined in the book because there was so many gems in there. And I have to say, the first book that I actually underlined under would you believe was the book about zombies it was actually a movie first i actually cried at the end of the oh, movie wow. of, while you're reading that i'm definitely gonna look it up so i can tell y'all about underlining stuff in a book yes and i'm not like you have to get me i guess star-studded or impressed to underline something because i mean i read a 
lot. So it has to be something good. Right. Before you get to say that, I swear all I did was type in Google zombie in love and it brought up exactly what it was. Oh. Warm bodies. Oh, I've heard of that book before. Well, I watched the movie first and literally cried at the end of the movie because it was so profound to me. Yeah. And the book is actually written by Isaac Marion. Okay. M-A-R-I-O-N. When I say that book, so many underlines because it was so prolific. But anyway, go ahead. Go. Okay, I'll put it on my list. Yes. So page two. Okay. All good secrets have a taste before you tell them. And if we'd taken a moment to swish this around our mouths, we might have noticed the sourness of an unripe secret plucked too soon, stolen and passed around before its season. But we didn't. Wow. Oh, gosh. And so the premise of this book is you're following three friends. They're starting in their teen years, and then Mm -hmm. they transition into adulthood. And the main character is, I believe, Nadia. Mm -hmm. And the whole premise is, so the church plays a very big role in this book. The title is called The Mothers because there's a chorus voice happening in between their perspectives, and Mm -hmm. the mothers of the church are the one who are the chorus voice. And they kind of talk like, we didn't see this coming or we mm. knew this was going to happen because of this. And so it's kind of like this omniscient eye that you you zoom into each character, mm. but then you get the zoom out of the mothers and their perspectives of how each character is on the outside. Wow. And so Nadia is grieving her mother. Like her mother died when she was very young, but she's still grieving her because she's a teenager. She doesn't yeah. have that guidance. And her father doesn't know what to do either. And he, the only way he finds value is through his role in the church as well. Well, she is not, she does not have a good reputation through mm-hmm. the church. And she is not looked at as somebody worth spending time getting to know at the church and that oh. kind of thing. And Nadia, she ends up becoming good friends with Aubrey. Mm-hmm. And Aubrey is, oh my gosh, Aubrey is... In, all the children's service programs, Aubrey's, if the church is open, Aubrey's probably there. (laughs) Okay. Well, Nadia and Luke, they start to seeing each other, but it's not, it's not, we're not dating. We're just, you know, it's a fling and there's no real DTRing, determining the relationship. (laughs) And Luke happens to be the star football player of high school, but he's also the pastor's son and his parents, you know, that pastor's trying to shepherd his flock, but that first lady, she got things to do and she ain't playing around. Oh. And so Luke's mom is the first lady and she does not care for Nadia. Mm. And so you see them kind of transition. Nadia is still trying to figure out her stuff and she doesn't expect anything from Luke. Yeah. But, you know, Luke doesn't, in the beginning, doesn't really expect anything from Nadia either until Nadia gets pregnant. Oh, wow. And in that situation, Luke panics, Nadia panics, and they end up aborting the baby. Mm -hmm. And throughout their teenage years and into their adulthood, you actually see how the abortion has affected Luke's point of view. And it's very profound to me because you see how that affects the father figure in a way that I don't think is very much covered in our culture today. Yeah, and. He actually comes out at one point and says, you know, this is how this affected me. And mm. I am still grieving the loss of 
the child that I never got to know. And that really shocks Nadia because she's like, I did not, you know, I thought she in her brain just thought Luke wanted to get rid of it. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. So they go through adulthood, and then there's ends up some love triangle stuff. <laughs> some lines get crossed. Friendships get broken. It's very tense. It's very... But it's the angst for me, Nicole. I it's love a good angst, angst <laughs> book. I, I love angsty books because I'm just like, the drama. I could get swept away in it, and it's just... You know, then I can come out of it and be like, thank God that ain't me. Right. (laughs) Exactly. But just the page turning of that kind of material is what I guess pulls us into the book so much is the idea of that. I will say, too, that us being in the Bible Belt, I mean, gosh, this book itself is going to be juicy. It is. It is (laughs) spicy. Very spicy. And believe it or not, these kinds of things probably have happened more than we would have even realize or recognize in the church and so I love how you said that it backs away and shows us the mothers of the church kind of giving their opinions on the outside of what they see yeah and I really want to the reason I say it's the Beyonce of books (laughs) is because it's got this voice that is so profound and very like when it opens its mouth it has something to say and you better listen and that's and quickly, so Beyonce, you know, right, like quickly on the second page. Yes, coming out, and you know, it's oh, it's just so. This book made my brain say, "This is delicious." Like mm-hmm. I, oh my goodness! And so I want to do one more read aloud of the specific point of view from the mothers. So this is from the mother's perspective, but I just wanted okay. you to get that voice. Okay. So this is on page one twelve, and it says, "We tried to love the world." We cleaned after this world, scrubbed its hospital floors and ironed its shirts, sweated in its kitchens and spoon school lunches, cared for its sick and nursed its babies. But the world didn't want us, so we left and gave our love to Upper Room. Now we're afraid of this world. We've seen what this world has to offer. We're scared of what it wants. Wow. And Upper Room, in that mention, is the name of the church. Okay. I can't recommend this book enough. It feels like it looks the South and it's culture in the face and says this is why this is not okay sometimes yeah mm-hmm, you know sure. and so Britt Bennett does have a newer novel out it's called okay. The Vanishing Half we do have it mm. I actually refreshed my brain on it it's about two twin sisters who mm-hmm. are living in a community in Louisiana and their community is intentionally made up mm. of light-skinned black people and if a community member marries or gets together with a darker-skinned black person they're outcast oh wow yeah and the, it follows the story of the two sisters, and one sister ends up marrying a white man and passing as white, mm-hmm. and then the other sister, her twin, in a moment of rebellion as a teenager, she marries a very dark-skinned black person, mm-hmm. and it just follows their lives. Okay. And so that's about her newest book. Okay. So that, that was sounds interesting, too. Yeah. So that was The Mothers by Britt Bennett, and then I spoke about The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. But what is your non-book recommendation? Tell me about this. Well, I have to say that when I mentioned to somebody that we were doing non-book recommendations, they said, are you really going to talk about books y'all shouldn't read? And I was like, no, not what that means. I was like, why would, why would we as librarians get on here and say, do not read this book? Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't dare cross that. You know, no matter what we might not like, we definitely want people to read and read what they like and maybe even read something that might 
even challenge them to think differently. But yeah. anywho, for my non-book recommendation, I have a website and it's called thriftbooks.com. And yes, it's related to books, but it's a website. <laughs> So what ended up happening, the reason why I chose this one was because my little sweet puppy dog, she got a hold of one of my favorite author's books, the one that I love and hold dear to my heart. It was called Friends and Lovers by Eric Jerome Dickey. I've been reading Eric Jerome Dickey since I was in high school. Yeah. I'm not going to tell my age, but it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> and she chewed on the edges, but it was a hardcover book, but it is my favorite of his so I just hopped on thriftbooks.com and I found it for almost $4. Wow. So in hardcover. I mean, obviously, too, it's a 1990 books. Yeah, but yeah. definitely a good steal. And so thriftbooks.com has more books like that. I mean, it very well could have the book that you just spoke about, The mm -hmm. Mothers on there, for cheaper than you would necessarily get it from off of Amazon or any other book selling stores. Mm -hmm. So that makes it a little bit cheaper. I really think it's possibly people who have read the book, have it in their repertoire, and they're just selling and don't want to sell it through Amazon. So mm -hmm. I definitely have to recommend this website. Thriftbooks.com is just like it sounds, thrift and then books. And it's just a cool little website to buy some oldies but goodies, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like classics, especially if you need them for your students mm -hmm. who are reading books for English courses or college students looking for that rare particular book that they need for a class. Mm -hmm. They very well could find it through thrift books. So it's, it's worth a try. It's worth a look. Yeah. So my non-book recommendation is going to be the Discord platform. Okay. It is a website, but it's also an app. And so it's kind of like an all-in-one. You open a server is what it's called, mm -hmm. and then you can create channels within your servers to deal with specific topics, specific groups of people. You can assign people different roles and when you go in to assign the roles you can determine whether they get to see certain things on certain channels or not. So we are actually starting a discord with our teen services okay. and that's where I've fallen into this world and it's very fascinating and I think it could actually be used in workplaces if people actually took the time to figure it out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just like a bulletin board of sorts. Like you okay. can do voice messaging you can attach files you can attach images you can react with gifts you can do all kinds of things and it's all in one place yeah and i just really love the aesthetic of it it's in that dark mode that you see with the newer iphone updates and yeah. things like that you can go to a lighter mode but i love the vibe of it yeah so that is my non-book recommendation well thank y'all so much for joining us for this episode of worth reading wednesdays Our and first one yeah and we'll see y'all back next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye.